Welcome to EduBlether. We're back with another episode on curriculum. So it's good to be back. We're physically distanced. Um, we've had our PCR test and we're here to talk about all things curriculum. So I guess starting off, I've been reading a, a really good book um, by Simon Sinak, I think, and it's on the importance of why. So, why curriculum? Why discuss the curriculum? That is the big question, I suppose. It's good for us to... I feel there's going to be points, shocker, that we're going to disagree this evening. So I think it would be quite <laughs> it's good. not like us. I think it would be quite good for us to... Yeah, sort of discuss the rationale for why we want to discuss curriculum. An interesting thing, though, looking at it, we've done, I think, episode, 28 episodes, maybe? Yeah, I think so. Something and like that. we've never explicitly discussed curriculum. So that's, no. I suppose that's one reason. Um, then, I suppose, is there is there meaning within the fact that we've never discussed curriculum? Possibly, yeah. But I think we've realised that we have a lot to talk about on curriculum. Yeah. Just doing a bit of planning around it. Um, so we're going to have a bit of a structure and look at what is the curriculum, what do we mean by that, what are some of the contradictions or some of the issues that come up from that. Then looking at, I guess, be interesting to hear what the opportunities are and the challenges. And then what is our utopian vision of curriculum? If we could wave a magic wand or, you know, think blue sky, what would our ideal curriculum look like? So, Jude, let's start off. What do you think the curriculum is? If you were to define it in a sentence, what would the curriculum be? And I know that's hard for you to... So, can I... No, so, I challenge the question, I suppose. (laughs) I think... think, um, Suggest... Asking that question, what is a curriculum? So, I suppose a curriculum in policy context is the totality of experience isn't it that's the, yeah. everything that we offer within a school kind of both within that formal structure of the yeah so school day school day yeah but then wider achievement everything that a school can offer with its engagement within the community and i think i think there's a lot within that and it's it's it is a very big topic a big issue a big concept what is curriculum and i suppose part of for, for me part of it is that it's the, the the part of the problems or the challenges i see within it is the definition of what it is mm-hmm. or the kind of the the notion that it needs to be a predefined concept and i would i would suggest that i think the curriculum is what it needs to be it should be a sort of amorphous concept it should be everything mm-hmm all at once it should be something that's um that's there for the learner for what the learner wants and the reason i'm hesitant to define what that is and what that should be is that that should be quite specific to every individual learner okay and i guess just when you were talking there the thing that came up for me was quite often we're hung up around what our formal curriculum looks like but actually there's a lot of informal learning that takes place. You know, we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about skills-based learning. We'll talk about, you know, relationships. Like, that's all part of the curriculum. It's mm-hmm. just... And I, what I'm really interested to explore, because coming from the secondary sector, is we're... I think we're obsessed by curriculum. Yeah. And defining it by subject. And I think what you've said is really interesting in terms of 
it being differentiated and really personalised for young people. Mm-hmm. And in, as you said, certainly within Scotland, and the policy context is around personalisation mm-hmm. for the curriculum. But the reality is, I think we're still too much focus is put onto subject. Discipline. Thinking. And discipline, yeah. yeah. So we've got to put our curriculum into a structure mm-hmm. that looks like a timetable in the secondary setting. And to an extent in the primary as well, you have structure as well in terms of, right, we're now doing maths, we're now doing um, history or... Whereas within, within the primary setting... We don't really have that luxury of a timetable. We have eight curricular areas that we're expected. Sure. So if, if we then counted up the experiences and outcomes within the eight curriculum experience within the eight curricular areas, and actually figured out if we could ever actually do that, you can. And I think that as soon as you start to define something like that, I think something as broad as what what is it that we want children to learn or to come away from this experience with, it becomes a an exercise in futility because I don't know if we could ever yeah. get all of that done. I think you're right. So yeah. why 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 bother trying to capture it is a big question. But then and we've we've disagreed about this in the past around right, how do you then solve the very practical issues of ensuring you've got two P four classes and they get the same equity of experience mm-hmm. when potentially you could have one teacher who thinks actually I want it to be all free flowing and I want you to explore and and really personalize your learning and then you have another teacher who's much more traditional yeah and thinks in the kind of traditional discipline subject kind of approach so how do you then do that if we don't have a definition of curriculum so I think what you've touched on there is that sort of complex interplay between curriculum and and the and pedagogy and yeah. teaching and learning and, and they are and linked aren't they professional they? learning of yeah. course they are yeah they have to be and they, they can't be discrete entities but I think yeah coming back to that notion before about what happens if or um, actually I think I think one of the and we maybe get onto it when we're discussing challenges I suppose but it's it's at this point it's what is the curriculum because it's the understanding of what happens every day mm-hmm. and and then that understanding that the, the person who translates that is the practitioner in the in the classroom mm-hmm. and I feel that there is inconsistency with how the curriculum for excellence is translated in the classrooms and I, I feel that maybe that comes from mixed messages maybe mm-hmm. that comes from over communication maybe that comes from the message changing over time since mm-hmm. conception um, but I feel that there is a, a uh, inconsistency across the country in terms of how we interpret the curriculum and in terms of how we interpret some of the freedoms that were afforded with the curriculum for excellence and in terms of that the, being the, the the how brave you have to be I suppose to fully um, embrace everything that child-centred curriculum planning offers um, because it doesn't sit with a practical yeah um, and I think that's if you go back to the very early days of curriculum for excellence and it is relatively early still I mean you know is it I think it is relative to you know Scottish education and the history of that I Mm -hmm. would say it's still relatively early you know it's not that long ago we were then looking at benchmarks again because we needed to 
fine tune mm -hmm. the experience and outcomes and look at the assessment process. So I think in the long run, it is early days, I would suggest. Um, we've probably not had that many young people go through Curriculum for Excellence from 3 to 18. Yeah. Do you know if it's a 3 to 18 curriculum, mm -hmm. how many young people have gone through that? We've probably not... No, young people who were at age 3 have yeah. probably not reached the end yeah. point yeah. of that curriculum. Mm -hmm. And that's what I mean in terms of it's early. It's yeah. young, it's early. Yeah. Oh yeah, sorry. And sorry. I guess we've come a long way from, if we look at some of the, just going through some of the kind of key headlines around it, we obviously had our four capacities which really defined the curriculum that we wanted all young people um, to come out the other end and that was the kind of product, the kind of outcome driven mm -hmm. approach of the curriculum that we'd have responsible citizens, we'd have effective contributors, we'd have confident individuals and successful learners. We've also gone down the road of skills-based learning, mm -hmm. IDL, mm -hmm. across subjects. Um, we've had a complete relook at what it means to learn within a curricular area. You talked about the eight curricular areas. We've also got the design principles of the curriculum around challenge, breadth, personalisation, choice, um, progression. Mm -hmm. So there's been a lot kind of going on there. Um, and then more recently, we're talking about levels mm -hmm. across the 3 to 18 curriculum and progress within a level. So we've actually come quite a long way and we're we've kind of gone back and forth to tweak things mm -hmm. as we've gone along. I guess what for me is quite interesting is some things are more prominent and I think that's what you touched upon is we've all interpreted different mm -hmm. aspects and we've put different levels of importance on different aspects of the curriculum. Mm -hmm. So for example, I would argue that in the secondary sector we've hung on to the idea of the curricular areas mm -hmm. and we've looked at that within our timetable structure whereas I would say IDL is probably not as strong a feature mm -hmm. whereas maybe that's different in the primary sector the IDL is much stronger and yeah. the, the differences between curricular areas are much more blurred yep I would agree um, I think there's obviously certain things that we could do in a in primary education in the primary sector that, that just practically can't be done as well or as easy mm -hmm. in in secondary not as well that was probably wrong word choice but no, no, i know what you mean as, yeah in terms of just it's different context um, isn't it i suppose just circling back a little bit to to that and when you hear it that way laid out in terms of what, what where we we've have been, done yeah. where we've been and where we've come from it's been a lot of curricular thought and curriculum theory engaged with and curriculum design I would say at the expense of understanding of the workforce mm -hmm. in terms of the importance of that. I still think, so if, if we're still kind of just now discussing what is curriculum, it is all of that. It is mm -hmm. everything that you've just mentioned. But actually, who, how often do we rigorously interrogate what curriculum design means? Like, what is the, what do we mean by the curriculum? And mm -hmm. what, what is the understanding of that? Is that a, a, a kind of guidebook on what should be happening every day within your classroom? Is that a ideological stance? Mm -hmm. Is that a, um, how much how much pedagogy is within that? And that's a kind of fiercely 
private and personal things. Mm-hmm. So what, what is the interplay between that and the person in the classroom delivering that? And actually having those really difficult moments and moments of struggle of actually trying to interpret what does that all mean? Not just from a policy stance, because it's about more than just policy, I would, yeah, I would argue. Yeah, absolutely. And I think part of the problem is that you could argue that some people have never really bought into the idea that the freedoms yeah. of our new approach to the curriculum has offered. Mm-hmm. You know, people feel quite secure in the sense of, here's what I need to deliver, mm-hmm. and then I'll work my way through that. And I've yeah. got some creativity and freedom in terms of how I deliver that, but in terms of what I deliver, it's fairly prescribed. And that was that was fairly heavily criticised in the recent OECD report, mm-hmm. wasn't it? It was. It was, the, it was this sort of decentralised autonomous curriculum given to practitioners yep. that, that were kind of local local agents of curriculum design uh-huh. without giving them, I suppose what I'm getting at is that it gave them the tools to be able to design their own curriculum effectively do you yeah. know? because it's very context free uh-huh. it's heavily concept based and uh-huh. skills based um, there's a huge amount of interpretation and in how that looks and how that looks for the children in front of you. But actually what we didn't give was any time for thought behind that. Mm-hmm. So for, for an awareness of why that in and of itself is is a gift, why that's a really good positive thing, we've still got one of the highest class contact times in in, in the, the world. world. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Which is unforgivable really when we're thinking about something as complex as curriculum design, design which which encompasses so much politics theory um like just belief of world views you know everything every particular lens that you can view it through you could look at curriculum through that lens and see something different mm-hmm. so if you're looking at it through a sociological perspective in terms of what society should be like that's different if you're looking at it through politics if you're looking at it through kind of theology and what it means to be in, in spiritual way you know it's all completely different and we've not actually ever sat I feel in the people that are the the agents of change as it were the ones that are doing that how often do we have the time to be able to do it because we don't we don't have the time no because we're to have these we've got to big conversations and work through the curriculum absolutely and I think that's a really interesting point and probably an opportunity that was probably missed Mm -hmm. was to really upskill and empower staff to really be able to take those local decisions about what that curriculum looked like because and I know we disagree on this in terms of your outcome like of education um, and I think we probably don't disagree that much but if you take the kind of product of education whether it's qualifications mm-hmm. destinations or whatever different areas will have different needs and obviously as time goes on different skills are required. Mm. So, this is a really interesting line of inquiry here. I like this because... So let's take this back in terms of timeline when... So school being a... a a kind of... a a really pivotal part of society. And if society... I, I can see... If we look at this through a kind of agricultural society... Which is what... Pretty much our structure is still based on, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. But if we think about what what school, the function of school as a sort of um, a socialising agent in terms of in agricultural times, it was really just 
by virtue of osmosis, you would kind of learn because you're around farmers all the time, you're yeah. helping out on the farm all the time, therefore. So it's quite simple in terms of what school needs to do to be able to make children ready for society, as yeah. it were. Sure. But the point that you were just making there is, as that goes on and on, that becomes more and more complex and more and more um, uh, involved in terms of what we're wanting from that. So there's mm-hmm. more decisions involved in what, what school needs to do to prepare children for Whatever s- that is, society, yeah. as mm-hmm. that were. And it, I think that's what we're getting at, is that there's this conflict here in that it's becoming much more complex mm-hmm. and it's becoming much more involved so that we're having to... there's open for disagreement in terms of what that means and what mm-hmm. does it mean to make children ready for that world and what does it mean to create the kind of future adults as it were and then that's why I think we're we're finding it really difficult just now to, to kind of unpick exactly what that means because it becomes so heavily involved with so many different angles mm-hmm. that you can look at it from that it's not it's not as simple as maybe it once was I mean do we just you've made me think there about going back to those four capacities is that what we're aspiring to for all the young people? That they're responsible, they contribute, they're confident, and they have success? I feel like we're just jumping straight to the utopic part of our curriculum. We are. I like, but, it, I like it, I'm fine. But it's about criticising and being critical of that. I mean, that has been determined. Is that still relevant? Is there things missing? Or are some of those things just not achievable. I think I have a problem with the four capacities in that I think all those words are interchangeable and you could have responsible learners and you could have successful contributors and you could have, I mean I think what does it mean do you know I so you just think they're just words there's and a to part, an extent they were there's a part of it and then there's a part of it where and I suppose this is another line of argument and it comes back down to what what is it that we want from from school what do we want from kind but of that's national it there. but I suppose so one of the things I'm thinking about is responsible citizens like so actually how how responsible would we say Greta Thunberg is how uh-huh. responsible were people that are actually changing the world around us and I suppose that's another thing that I would be saying is that actually I don't think I don't think school is I don't think this is right I don't think we do have the right vision of what a curriculum should be a curriculum I think in education, again back to the purpose of it, should be an intensely humanising experience, allowing mm-hmm. children to 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 interact with the world around them and come to understand it and come to be in that world, yeah. not come to be prepared for a world that already exists. No, it's about they're, how they're, they're actually helping to shape that. They're coming into that being yeah. then changing the future and that's what we have to present to them through that that model of democracy that schools should be so that's why I suppose what I was getting at the start is that it should be an intensely personal experience that should be fluid and dynamic and changing all the time dependent upon the needs of the community the needs of society the needs but it also should be I believe quite an unproductive time which is contrary to what and I think part of the problem is that we have made some major changes in terms of our approach to curriculum, but we've never, ever bought into it. And I think, for me, Curriculum for Excellence was a real missed opportunity mm-hmm. in terms of how we could have completely reimagined what school should look like. Yeah. And what we've ended up with is we've ended up doing a lot of change mm-hmm. 
and we've ended up with something that looks very similar to what we had. Especially the with the introduction of the benchmarks, I would say. Well, That's with the benchmarks, the but even if you look at qualifications, yeah. we've essentially just redone qualifications, but we have similar type qualifications yeah. that just have different names. So we've not reimagined what the curriculum looks like mm-hmm. or how we deliver it. Even in our pedagogy, we've not really done that. We've not even tinkered. It was interesting to hear you say about the agricultural influence. And that's why we still have our holidays mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. way they are. Yeah. So we've not even reimagined what the school year looks like. Yeah. We've not reimagined the timing of a school day. You know, mm-hmm. In some parts of Europe, they come in really early, so they've got the afternoon, mm-hmm. so they're much fresher, and then they can still socialise before it gets dark and stuff. So... There's so many other opportunities that we could have reconsidered at that time and I feel like we have missed the boat so on that. So why do you think that? I agree 100%. I don't think we're radical enough at the time. Have I turned you into <laughs> a radical anarchist? I like it. Been away for a while. First time back in person. Yeah. <laughs> so so I, I agree and I think I think this is the bit that I, I feel... Uh, yeah, wait, why, why aren't we more angry about this? Why aren't we more upset about this? Why aren't we? Because I would say, I would say that a lot of teachers share this opinion. I would say that there's a lot of teachers that are dissatisfied with the current status quo. Mm -hmm. I would say that there's a lot of people that don't like a heavily assessment driven curriculum. I would say that there's a a, a large body of people that that want to give more child-centred learning that, that want to engage more in unstructured um, learning opportunity yeah. I think though that what's happened has been that the, the, the state school hasn't been challenged enough because it becomes uncomfortable to challenge that it becomes out of routine it becomes that we've not got, we've not got the, the time to be able to sit and be uncomfortable in mm-hmm. that moment and say what would happen if this didn't happen that way and I think I think that is Partly down to lack of time, partly down to uh, professional learning and professional learning offering, which I think is improving hugely in terms of critical thought and criti- crit- critical engagement, critical theory. But I, I, I don't see what the, the catalyst for change could be from where we are right now to, to, to this utopic vision that we're going to ultimately work towards in this conversation. What, you, what is the main thing that would change that? <clears throat> I don't know, but I don't know if it's the main thing, but I think it's one of the key things that we need to address. And this is in the OECD report as well, that our education system has become far too political. And our drive for improving standards year on year has become a bit of a stick to beat us with. It has probably stifled creativity at times because we're in a system where that taking risk and and kind of challenge and trying things out, that fear of failure has really stifled our creativity and our innovation, is how I feel. And I think, as you mentioned, the time factor, I mean, it was 2001 since we had our major mm-hmm. review of teacher standards and conditions through the Macron report. Mm-hmm. That's 20 years ago, you know. Yeah. The landscape has changed completely in that time. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So maybe we need to look again at our contact time and really give time to teachers Mm -hmm. to engage in these deep questions that we need to address. But I I think politically, I think it's become too centralised as a a Mm -hmm. system. Um, that, I, I, I agree with that point as well about the politicisation poli, poli, yeah, politicisation too politi- politicization. <laughs> too politi- um, because I think that actually education needs to exist within within the public sphere Do you know it needs to be it needs to be removed from the the policy of politics I think yeah and it needs to be removed also from kind of private sector of and I'm not meaning private versus public education no I know I'm meaning the kind of actually the influence of parents being able to say that these are our values that we want to be held dear within that actually I think that there needs to be something of of this experience of education through the curriculum through pedagogy through experience that actually is a sort of we are pushing against the status quo Mm -hmm. here do you know that sort of obstinance that comes from that actually by saying education is an emancipatory force and that can't be you can't be within a system and try and take the down take down the system from within that you know so actually because we are governed by education scotland actually a lot of these problems that we have with the status quo are as a result of what is coming from education scotland you know Mm -hmm. so actually the system is not ever going to be allowed to exist if it's if its intent is to be disrupting status quo mm-hmm. and actually that's why I think it needs to sit quite separate from that so that it is education for education's sake rather than for a specific purpose that can be a proxy of success for the government for which I know is utopic and that is maybe idealistic and not thought through and there are logistical practical concerns with it I understand but what what I'm saying is if we are subscribing to the belief that education is a democratizing force mm-hmm. that's that's there to to prepare future citizens to engage with democracy in its in its widest sense which I, which is a large part of what i believe education's for if we're doing that actually a big part of democratic principle or kind of civic literacy just within that is about challenging these things and mm-hmm. being able to not accept a society as it is but being able to shape that and change that and imagine one that could be and that's where I think we're stuck within this this attainment driven cycle of actually that is what proves our worth yeah showing that we can get children jobs and to better because they're they're easily measurable and they're easy, easy and I think to that is the, you've hit the nail on the head I don't think it's because people well, I think you're right. I think a lot of people will probably have never asked themselves what is the purpose of a yeah. curriculum or, or a purpose mm-hmm. of education mm-hmm. more widely. Um, but it is something through, obviously, the standards that we need to reflect mm-hmm. on and really um, think deeply about. But I think in terms of why we do what we do is because it's easy to measure. It's easy to set a test or give a test to everyone yeah. in Scotland and say here's your pass mm-hmm. percentage and then compare that to next year is there improvements or is there not and that then defines a standard of education and that's very simplistic I know that but yeah, but, that is, but that is what we that's do where we're at, that's yeah. what we're doing I guess a, a good example of where our practice 
and our our policy idea and our vision for curriculum for excellence hasn't quite come through has been particularly in secondary and I don't know if there's a, a similar example in primary but secondary schools were given the freedom obviously within the 3 to 18 curriculum to reimagine what the BGE was so that's that's considered as S1 to S3 mm-hmm. and the senior phase S4 to S6 to reimagine what that was whereas traditionally we had a very um, a 2 to 2 model so S1 and 2 were generally a curriculum third and fourth year was a curriculum mm. and then a senior phase fifth and sixth year and sc- some schools opted to make the decision which went along um, kind of headline routes at the time where the number of qualifications was different depending on which school you went mm. so you had in local areas young people doing eight the equivalent of eight um, national fives or standard grades in old money and then down the road you might have people only doing six. So straight away there was an issue of inequity and because parents, because young people are in a system where they know that the value is placed on qualifications, mm-hmm. that then means, and it happened in a school I used to work in, young people and their parents took children out of a school that were offering six qualifications in fourth year and went along the road <laughs> to a school that you would get eight qualifications and it was in the same town. Wow. Yeah. So there's a huge issue there around equity. Mm-hmm. But to challenge what you had said, that is that is the local school making a decision for their local pupils. But that's the challenge is mm-hmm. how do you make that local decision but still provide equity across the board? Or do you think in time what would have happened was that competition mm-hmm. would end up driving that school who were doing six qualifications to decide we need to offer eight and be on a par. Oh yeah, don't uh, that's really dangerous. Horror. But that's what was happening. Yeah, but I and I, I think uh, is it a surprise that that happens in no, this No, but, but if that is the the, the level of freedom we're looking for, I guess that's still on the basis that qualifications are the currency in which yeah. we're trying to to work towards in mm-hmm. our current system. Maybe that would be different if we didn't have such a system dependent on qualifications. Because I think what what that does is that it's that free market ideology that's, of course that's, it is. that's yeah. dictating how that works. And that that is prevalent in in all, all aspects of our education at the moment. And that's what I when I'm saying status quo, when I'm saying that I think that we need to rally against that, that's exactly what I'm talking about. I think though that what 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 we have at the moment is a, a a curriculum that if we're being honest about it what we need to be saying is actually from the second they walk in the door that we are trying to influence their thoughts so that they subscribe to this world view that we have that is a case of actually if you are predominantly white middle class and can sit still long enough and listen for long enough you will succeed here if you challenge us in any shape or form then that's actually not acceptable behaviour as a very crude analysis yes, of what, <laughs> what I'm saying is as our measure of what is a successful learner back yeah. to the, the, the like capacity vision, there, I guess, what, what do we actually mean by what that means and what I'm saying is that's someone who can attain at quite a high level that's yeah. someone who has got a bit of money that's someone who, if we're looking at statistically and how we can measure this actually a successful learner is not a child who is facing financial hardship it is not a child 
who is from a certain area of Scotland, Edinburgh, that isn't able to have the 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 kind of social capital to be able to challenge yeah. these things and have a really dense, difficult political discussion like this to be able to actually say, this is not okay, I stand up for what I believe in yeah. here. And actually, this and the reason that we, we don't have that is because we don't have an education system that that facilitates and activates that challenge of status quo. So it's that perpetual cycle that will just go So it's all very well saying this then, what do you do about it? How do you achieve that? So I think one of the first things that we achieve from it is is to separate this discussion from being a school-based discussion. This is a, this is, yes, exists everywhere. And for us to to assume or to even attempt to try and suggest that this is just a education, professional learning issue is is so far away from where we need to be. I think political change is huge and as much as I'm saying we need to depoliticise the education system, I think politics is always going to be a part of it. So I suppose so what I mean is... you need that leadership to drive the so change. So I don't think as a, as a policy part, it shouldn't be policy driven. I feel like politics exists within that in the sense of it is a political thought to, to have one view of education versus mm-hmm. another. That's political. And that is ideological. Do you know? That's down but to what you no, view of the world is. And I know we try to stay away from politics. And <laughs> Different success. <laughs> but there's no political party that is challenging that vision of education. There's fairly... I mean, there's a tinkering at the edges, but it's generally accepted Which our current education feeds into, approach. I suppose it feeds into... Isn't it? Like, there's no radical... No, there is view isn't. of education coming from a political party. No, and why is that? Because is that because there is no appetite for that? It's, I suppose that's a great that's a that's a really great question that feeds back into my point of what would happen if there was an education system that was set up to encourage critical learners, genuinely critical learners, who were to look at the world around them and say, actually. This is not okay that one in four children in the city that I live in mm-hmm. potentially are going to bed tonight without eating something. Yeah, it is not okay not. But that I we think are a lot of wrecking the environment. That. Yeah, so what I'm saying is what we're do we do blinded by the status quo. So mm-hmm. there, there, is, there is complicity within the comfort that we have within our system here so yeah. that we have a large number of children. You and I of are course. complicit within this because our course. children are going to go to school and they're going to be part of the system and they're going to do incredibly well within that system. And actually what we're saying is we need to jeopardise some of that comfort to be able to change the system. And I don't believe for a second it's as easy as saying there's not an appetite for change. There is an appetite for change. There is an appetite, but when it's dressed up as... The, the kind of ramblings of a mad left socialist that's that is how it's sold because and, and why is it sold that way it's sold that way because actually the status quo exists to, to replicate itself. it's the dominant force yeah and that's that's why it, we 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 have these distractions and it's not like a kind of dr evil any secret layer trying to put this upon us it's not like thought out that way but that's that's the nature of neoliberalism is is meant to perpetuate it's meant to protect itself so we can't then create a system that challenges the system and that i think it comes but then you also talked and this is my last point and then i think we're going to move on okay (laughs) but you also talked about a society that's based on democracy yeah, and if our democracy—I mean, there's 
we could have another podcast on how broken is this our democracy, democracy yeah. is. But there are certain principles within a democracy in that you would have to have a broad agreement that we would make a wholesale change like this. We couldn't just do that as a profession. That would have to be a political decision. And we're not seeing any political party with that radical view of completely rethinking <laughs> education. But I suppose my rebuttal would be, I don't think the view that I'm presenting here is radical, or actually I think that there is a license for this within the standards, within the um, within the curriculum, within sure. the curriculum documents, because there, every part of that suggests that we should, it should be a humanising curriculum, it should sure. be child-centred, it should be based on children's interests, it should be a critical professional that is able to, to challenge policies that are coming from it. That's exactly the licence that we're given. And it's what I think is that we aren't interrogating that enough, that we're not... Um, and I don't think this is anyone's fault, and please don't think for a second that I'm blaming or trying to suggest that people are being lazy and not doing enough. No. What I'm saying is the current system that we have, clearly there are there is a strong voice for this criticality that is there, that we need that. But then there's equally a system and systems in place that don't allow for that freedom of thought mm-hmm. that actually I think would quite back up this kind of social justice perspective that I'm advocating for because that is clearly there within the curriculum. Yeah. And I think I'm going to move on now if that's okay. Yeah. And I want to just the kind of a topic I want to discuss is the idea of excellence within our curriculum Mm. and also the equity issue which you've touched upon there that Mm -hmm. takes us back to social justice. And I think you would be hard pushed to find any teacher to disagree with the idea of having excellence within our curriculum, mm-hmm. I would argue. Mm-hmm. You know, why would you not want the highest possible yeah. standard of learning and teaching? Curriculum of average. And experience. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't, it's not no. quite got the same um, appeal, has it? And I guess, do you think that we're at that stage? Because curriculum for excellence is an aspiration is that a statement of where we are? Is that achievable? Mm. I mean, it's a really interesting one because, again, it's about what we measure as well. What is Coming excellence? back to that, <laughs> what is excellence? I mean, uh-huh. it's no surprise, obviously, our schools are rated on a six-point scale and the top yeah. one is excellent. So, And there's not many schools that achieve excellence no. as well within our system. So is that achievable within... This, the system that we're in is a key question. And I guess the other one that I really, I feel really passionate about and part of this is to do with my own upbringing, my own background in that I've worked really hard to get where I am today and, and I, I know you are the same. Mm-hmm. And actually it's that determination, but it's breaking that cycle, I guess, of of opportunity and mm-hmm. I've only managed to do that through education and actually we've, we both agree on that that education is the most um, inspiring the most um, mobilising thing that you can do in mm-hmm. terms of creating opportunities mm-hmm. and being able to access opportunities and I guess I just wondered around the equity and excellence 
there are, as you pointed out, there are still schools where young people are not achieving. Mm-hmm. They're not included within their learning. So we're still not getting that right. We still have a very kind of traditional um, model within our system where young people are still excluded. Mm-hmm. Young people are not having the same opportunities as other young people in more affluent areas. And that's sometimes within the same school. Mm-hmm. And I just think it raises so many questions. And, and I think you you mentioned at the beginning, why aren't more people angry? Mm-hmm. Why are we not seeing that more and more? Is that just because we're being suppressed? Um, and I don't, I don't like to subscribe to this idea that we're all just kind of blindly going about our business and not challenging things. Because on a daily basis, you know, that is one of the key aspects of my role yeah. is I'm challenging things. I'm, we're trying to improve things. We're trying to get mm-hmm. people to think critically about what their practice is like and how we can improve. But I guess there are some massive questions within certainly Scottish education, but I know it's not unique to Scotland around this idea of equity. Yeah, and excellence and equity, again, is is a... Or words. It's catchphrase. Yeah. It's catchphrase politics, which... Yeah, and I'm not getting into discussing individual political parties, but I think I think there is there is a part of this that that's branding. That's so so then the the kind of critical lens that we're viewing this from that a lot of our colleagues are viewing this from as well. If we start to then unpick, what do we mean by excellence and equity, and what is our proxy of success for achieving mm-hmm. excellence or achieving equity? And actually, that then comes back down to well equity of outcome, equity of experience. Ultimately, that comes down to, because the only only measure that we really have or the measure that has most value with that is attainment. Mm -hmm. And then there is an argument that runs alongside that, that attainment encapsulates a lot more than just a, a... pass or fail of an exam or a pass or fail of a unit or or any kind of summative data but ultimately it comes down to kind of product outcome driven yep. curricula that we're that we're discussing rather than really heavily process based so if we're saying that actually if we're if we're if we're saying that we're we're really um, concerned overly with the product driven curriculum and that, that then becomes the lens with which we're viewing excellence and equity then we very much gear our curriculum and our resources towards achieving higher attainment so excellence mm-hmm. and equity so for for the most the biggest spread of children that we possibly can mm-hmm. it's particularly challenging financial deprivation whenever mm-hmm. that exists and ensuring that they attain higher mm-hmm. my problem is with attainment and with that being our measure our measure and actually if we were to professionalize to reclaim the profession and to say actually we are professionals we understand what excellence looks like for every individual child we understand how to achieve equity given the adequate resources adequate time adequate because i don't think there's anyone that would be hard pressed to be able to think about what they could do to achieve equity within within their community with the resources limitless resources yeah. and i don't understand why there aren't limitless resources for achieving that because actually and it comes back down to again what i'm saying that 
it becomes a education issue but excellence and equity can't be achieved through education alone no, and I'm not challenging what you're saying about the kind of emancipatory liberating force of education and I, I agree with yeah. that but what I'm saying is that needs to be backed up by housing and opportunities there. social work housing social work, mental health yeah. nursing by yeah. by everything and that's that to, to suggest and to claim that that can be achieved through an educational policy is obviously it's not something that anyone can argue with and that's that's another kind of trick of the yeah system of the establishment that we're doing that so therefore we're trying to solve a problem but actually it's no surprise that and and again, you'll hear a very different story because it's a political issue. It's no surprise that we haven't closed the poverty-related attainment gap because, yeah. as you say, is that achievable just with the resources within education? Or does that need to be wider in terms of looking at social policy, our drugs and alcohol approach within yeah. Scotland, um, you know, crime, all the societal issues that, Everything. that we need to look at, our, our welfare and benefits system, Employment, um, taxation, taxation. The list goes on. That actually, all of these things impact on people's social mobility, Um, and it is pretty scandalous that in twenty twenty one, that depending on where you're born, and how educated your parents are, will have an impact on your future prospects. So then, to bring that back to the curriculum. And, and this is why I think when, when, you, when you have a question about what is the purpose of education, you could look at that as a really abstract, l- lacking in any practical uh, function. Yeah. Um, that can seem like a really alien conversation to some practitioners because the, the job is to like, quite hard to come in and mm-hmm. do that and to fight the fires that are happening and to make your children attain and to get through assessments and to mark your work and to continue that cycle. I honestly don't think if this conversation was happening, I don't think there are many teachers in Scotland that would be really disagreeing with what we're saying. Mm-hmm. What I'm, what to bring this back to cur- curriculum, what I think is the the function of the curriculum should be to create individuals that are here challenging this. Now, I'm not saying they have to subscribe to my worldview. Sure. But what I'm saying is to Ask challenge the, the ills of society. So yeah. To be able to say, and now there there could be, and I would argue that young people are doing that. I mean, if you look at the climate crisis, young people are leading that. Yeah. Because they are invested in their future. You know, they're, you're hearing about young people striking on a Friday, so giving up their educational opportunity so that they can show the political leaders of the mm-hmm. world how much they care about You also hear about schools that are saying they can't attend Absolutely. protests. And that, I totally agree you're with what you're saying. learning time. Yeah. However, you can't say that we don't have young people who are doing that already. Just probably the question is, why don't we have more young people? Or why all young people? Why isn't that the sole purpose of education? Yeah, absolutely. To, to create outrage, to create obstinance, to create children that are, 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 are willing to challenge all the things that are wrong with society at the moment. Because there are lots of things that are wrong with society at the moment. Even taking out my kind of heavily leftist political skew on that actually fixing the world creating a better world to live in is should be the function of our curriculum and and it shouldn't be a kind of catalogue of things to experience and to work through actually that creating that individual 
mm-hmm. that is able to go out and, and challenge things that are wrong with the world. The difficulty that comes with that is that people say, well, what's the guidebook and what's the way that I do that? So do I say that, how do, how do I break that down into these smaller chunks yeah. to create so it's about that providing that support. Which then comes back to that curricular view, which then comes down to actually what we need from that is highly skilled professionals that have an understanding of pedagogy, that have an understanding of their political place within that and their 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 role to be able to facilitate that, to activate that those thoughts within young people. And that's that's the bit that actually I think we're we're heavily preoccupied with, as we've said, attainment, progression through curriculum mm-hmm. levels, rather than actually being really focused on what are our real core values here and if we honestly value social justice and equity above all else what needs to change then for us to actually be able to do that and i guess part of the daily basis part of the huge challenge that we have is all those people involved in the education of a young person have all gone through a system that has reinforced that at every single stage you know parents that's all they've ever known yeah because they've gone through school and actually you know We've said this before, education has not really changed much since your granny was in school. No, yeah, well, no, like go back 500 years, somebody could come in and come into your classroom and recognise that that's a school. That is education. They wouldn't recognise a smart board, they wouldn't recognise the use of iPads, but they'd know teacher-child relationship. That is education. That's the problem. Yeah, that we haven't been radical enough. Yeah, I I totally agree. And so, so I suppose then to take that to our kind of utopic vision, I think we've covered utopic vision of that. That is it. <laughs> Radical, Change. critical thought, and 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 this is the bit that challenges me, I suppose, as a professional, because I get very invested in my view of the world and understanding that that is critical and that is maybe not how others believe. So there is there is a system of belief that people believe that actually it is about knowledge and understanding mm-hmm. the best that has ever been said and ever been thought and written. And I suppose that the, the point with that is I think as soon as you turn a curriculum into kind of quite content specific... It becomes outdated. It becomes outdated and it also becomes open to interpretation from someone. So who's, whose curriculum is that? Whose knowledge? And that's where we get... And where we have had curriculum that have been based on that, it's it's very much the kind of old adage of it's kind of stale, male and pale. Do you know? It's that. It's but then kind of to come back name. on that, then there are risks with with professionals truly leading personalised curriculum in terms of there. It's open to abuse in terms of yeah views being shared and and then you know quite extreme views but I think that still fits within this version of education that we have at the moment where there is the the adult that's more in control of what children are thinking and that's my problem with an outcome driven curriculum because it's here I am as the kind of gatekeeper of what it is that you shall learn rather than actually radically changing the yeah the the kind of the The teacher as an activator of experience of interact rather than saying here is knowledge that i'm going to give you to consume and regurgitate mm-hmm. it is i'm placing this knowledge on the table in front of you interact with this how do how do i view this differently how can i change this mm-hmm. knowledge it's not about just consuming everything Learn, that's gone yeah. before it's about changing it 
and yeah. being excited about that. So I suppose that's again where you have it. It's not just putting somebody in there who's not able to do that. That's professional learning, teacher education. Quality. That's everything. Teachers, really. Exactly. We need to get that right, and the leadership and the vision around that. We need to buy into that yeah. view of what education is. And I guess my final thought on it is: Do you not need some sort of structure? Because ultimately, a curriculum. We've talked about different structures, whatever that you know, whether it's a loose framework or, like, we're talking whether it's like questions you ask or skills based mm-hmm. or knowledge. It's all about a structure. Is that going to be achievable? And and do you not always need a structure? Um, I don't know. I don't know to be honest. I think the the structure and the content and the specific things to be taught. I think we're certainly not getting that right because the over focus on and the 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 kind of dominant dominance of literacy and numeracy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that as soon as you start to apply structure and start to categorise things it becomes that becomes again a big debate about the nature of mm-hmm. disciplinary thinking and do they even exist are they social constructs are they and all of it obviously is in some shape or form a social construct yeah we've created that we've given it a label haven't we but I think if we're if we're talking about structure and genuine democratic humanising education I think there are structures, and I think this is a criticism that often comes of kind of critical models of of say critical pedagogy or or of critical curriculum design is is that actually, but that's too abstract, it's too woolly, it's too broad, and I don't know if that gives enough credit to teachers, teachers first and foremost, and young people, and young people, yeah, and understanding that actually what we, I th- I, I suppose my role within that or my thought with that would be that we partly exist to serve the needs of that community so that the the learning so we need to understand what would be important questions to to posit what good provocations would be Mm -hmm. but also by understanding and working with the learner to understand not just what their interests are I'm not talking about oh well he's into formula one so I'm going to plan something about formula one Mm -hmm. more about where, where is your place within the world? What mm. is your lens with which you're viewing this? Where are your parents from? What has your experience been? And coming at that from a real equal place of understanding. And I don't have, and I'm not suggesting that I have a curriculum that follows that with a canon of literature and a canon of... No, of course curriculum. not. But what I'm saying is that there is, there is clearly a kind of higher body of knowledge. These kind of these powerful thoughts that are conceptual thoughts that, mm-hmm. that it's about that kind of understanding the physical world understanding how obviously the kind of literacy is a is a, again a liberating force and that's a means with which we can interact and engage with democracy yeah, so there is a there is a it's not just a let's all just sit down and talk about and Plato. question things <laughs> yeah no I get that and I, I think you know we've not touched upon skills-based curriculum really no um and obviously the change in nature of of skills but also we've not looked at our mental health crisis that we're in at the moment in terms of or have been in for some time that more and more young people 
are really struggling. And, I, I and think what we're saying here is we need a curriculum part two episode here. <laughs> I, I think like, you might be right. I, I honestly, I feel that this is this is a wonderful discussion, and I feel that actually exactly what you've just talked about—the kind of skills versus knowledge—yeah, and that I don't want to present a false dichotomy, but that no, often it, is a it, it, it is presented that way, and I think it would be interesting to discuss that, but it might be beyond the scope of this episode. Possibly, I also agree with the kind of mental health, and yep. I think that feeds into what I'm saying about the kind of flourishment and humanizing potential of education. And I think if if we need to have a strong look, if we're still seeing that obviously young people are not able to be included as much in their education, we've got young people who are not um, having the same equity of opportunity, Mm -hmm. we've got young people who are really struggling to engage with their education and struggling with their mental health. So what do we change about our curriculum? Because that's fundamentally what it comes back to is yeah. whether that's the structure of the school day, whether it's the length of the school year, you know, the structure of the physical makeup of a classroom. What a, a school, school looks yeah. like, what a you know a class is considered. You know, I think the real opportunities from from virtual learning. Mm-hmm. I mean, certainly we saw young people more engaged in their education because the stress of coming into school was taken away. Yeah. So actually, additional support needs were better suited in some settings in front of a computer. Now, that's not the same for everyone because some other people really struggled with that, not having that human interaction. But I think there's a real, um, a few further issues that we maybe come back to in a part two of curriculum because we're not going to cover it all tonight, but I think it's been a really, really interesting discussion. And wasn't too political. It wasn't, but I think I think it's also. But it is a political shy. issue. Political yeah, issue. I, I, I'm saying it's not too political because generally it's not political Jude parties I, we were discussing there. No, no, no. This is a big political issue. But generally, we agree on our. Oh, we do. Our values and our principles. It's Very really much. our, our, <laughs> the other things less so. <laughs> but as we said tonight, and the key theme has been that's what we're meant to be doing. If we were just agreeing with one another, this would be a really dull. Podcast, it would, um, and life would be pretty dull as well. Yeah, if we were all just agreeing with one another, that echo chamber. So, I hope you've enjoyed um, this episode on curriculum. We will be back for part two um, very soon. Let us know what you think on Twitter. Um, get in touch if you've got some key questions you want us to answer or address, or indeed if you wanted to join us on a future episode of the podcast. We are not shy. We would love to have you on. And actually, it's been a while since we've had a guest, hasn't it? So um, drop us a wee tweet or message us on DM. That'd be great. Okay, thanks very much for listening, everyone. And we will speak to you again soon. Bye.